Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Let the train! You are listening to Wide the Are you ready to truck it? It's time for your Nooner with Dooner. Welcome to Wednesday. Man, the hump day. It's the middle of the week. Good morning, Leatherface. Good afternoon to you, sir. Thank you. Armstrong Transport, Carrie Danucci, for bringing Leatherface to us for the spooky season. We got some awesome guests today, a ton of news to get to. And hey, usually I start you off with like some bad news about what's going on in the market. But today, today's a different day. Today's a new day. All right, Leatherface, we're going to have to calm you down. It's a terrible co-host. All right, bring up this chart right here. This is, this is some good news. This is what I'm going to start you with right here. It goes off in my ear. Greg Miller has a nice report up. September imports are up 8% versus 2019, 9% versus 2018, and 15.5% versus 2017. He says U.S. imports have been rising month on month since February. They were sequentially yet again in September, according to data released Tuesday by Descartes Group Systems. But it isn't, it isn't even growth, Greg says. Imports from China may be building back up, but according to that same data, which is based on customs filings, September saw significant month-on-month import losses at Los Angeles and New York, New Jersey, but it was offset by significant gains in Long Beach, California, Tacoma, Washington. Um, inbounds from China, they continue to be this primary driver of growth, though, despite all this talk of nearshoring and supply chain diversification. Selmer Cogliano, he had to say, where does 2023 fit in the past four years? This is the only year where U.S. container import volume increased in September. Every other since 2019 has been a decrease. Container imports have been on an overall rise since February with a slight dip in June. Does it continue past October? Here's something curious, though. Look at the Freitos Baltic Index, because you'd think with all this volume and it's going up, rates would too, but they keep dropping on the Freitos Baltic Index. I think we're at, like, what, what, 2238 over here? Yeah, not good, but here might be a reason for it. Retail Dive reports that Nike has kicked the inventory doldrums with levels down 10%. The sportswear giant, they've come a long way for a year ago where that big narrative was consumers pulling back on purchases. Retails, retailers may be getting right-sized. Their CFO, Matt Friend, said on the company's earnings call, on the whole, we are very comfortable with the level of inventory in the marketplace in relation to the retail sales that we are seeing as we begin increasing levels of wholesale selling in our second half. Hey, we could use this cavalry of volume. Speaking of, today on the show on What the Truck, I'm joined by Duke AI's Marcus Cooksey. We're going to talk about their new fully automated back office assistant. It's Siri for your supply chain, and it promises to automate document management, audit invoices, and detect errors. We got Andrew Silver. He built a freight tech giant with Molo Solutions. Now that he exited the company, he's on to his next venture, one that hits very close to home for me. Podcasting. We'll dive deep into his career journey. We'll get all into that. We'll see what he's up to now and why he started the Freight Pod. 
because I am curious all about that. And Freightwave's Alan Adler stopping by. Big news from Highland. Thomas Healy was on here last week. He was talking about ERX commercialization. He was saying that, you know, they're, they're on track with everything. And that all changed this morning. They had a conference call, and now they're pausing the ERX. We'll find out why, what that means. Is this company for sale? What's happening? Why did they even do that interview last week? I'm, I'm curious. And Alan knows a little more than me, so I got him here. And then we got Freightways Justin Martin. We got Understand LTL's Curtis Garrett. They're going to update us on that SD's hack. And Justin's going to tell us how truckers move the mail. So let's tip the band, then we'll get over to Andrew Silver. Looking for a new adventure? Take the next step on your career journey with AIT Worldwide Logistics. When you join their growing team, you'll collaborate with expert colleagues around the world to create innovative solutions backed by world-class customer service. If you're ready to push the supply chain envelope, your next adventure is waiting. Visit the career section at AITWorldwide.com to learn more. Apply today. Start Q4 with a new gig. But right now, Andrew Silver. Interesting. This is the first time I've had to introduce him this way. The host and founder of the Freight Pod. Hello, Andrew. Tim, how are we doing? You're looking good, man. Hey, you, you, you kind of changed up the hair look a little bit. Yeah, it's gone. I was bored, and so I shaved the head. Uh, I don't mind it. My fiance is good with it, so we've got it for now. Well, you, are, you, are you still in Chicago? It's getting cold over there. You need a good beanie for the winter. Yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not looking forward to the winter uh, without hair, so I don't think it'll last. I'm getting married in April. I've been told I have to have the hair back by then, so... Um, I think it'll take a couple months to get it back. Well, first of all, congratulations on the uh, impending nuptials. A little cowbell for that. But, you know, you have an amazing story. Molo's a, a great story. You built a great company. And about four months ago, you put a post out, though, because, you know, you leave Molo. You're kind of in this limbo. You're figuring out what to do next. And you wrote, I'm pushing myself to be active again and productive while contemplating my next career move. Take us back a few months. Where were you at? Where was your head at, Andrew? It was not in a good place. You know, if I'm being perfectly honest, the, the departure from Molo was really tough for a number of reasons. And I think that I'm incredibly proud of what we built. Um, I'm still proud of the team that's there carrying that on. I mean, the people who lead that business today, Matt and I personally put in those roles and we have every confidence in their ability to, you know, grow that business continually. But when you lose something that you built from the ground up and you're no longer a part of it, it's just really hard. And I don't think I was emotionally ready or mature enough to handle that really effectively and, and productively. So the first few months sucked. Um, the first few months were, were really, really challenging for me mentally. Um, I was not in a good place. And I've just been trying to do a lot of work to get myself to the right mindset to be productive. And that's kind of where this podcast came from. You know, I wouldn't call this my next career move by any means, um, but I would say it's something to do for now that is exciting. It's fun. I think there's a number of paths we could take with it. If we wanted to try to really turn it into a business, a media company, I think there's an avenue there that, that would be fun and interesting. It's completely foreign to me, but um, maybe worthwhile. Um, but for now, I'm just really enjoying the process of, of, you know, interviewing people, meeting people who I don't know that well and getting to know them better and kind of jiving with them and having conversations, given the relative experience, I, relevant experience I have that Paul has. I just think we can create a really unique experience that other podcasts maybe can't in our space today. You know, Andrew, in 2016, when I got fired from my freight sales job, I didn't think this would be my next career move either yet. 
to this day, I'm still sitting here behind a microphone from my kitchen table to here. So, and I was sitting under a non-compete. I couldn't get back into sales. My other experience in freight was in operations. The reason I left operations was I couldn't make as much money as I could in sales and couldn't really go backwards with a young family and I had to figure something else. And I started this as kind of like a living resume. I was like, oh, I can talk to people, put my name out there, get it out there. But you also said something interesting. And I, I was reading a post from Alex Lieberman from The Morning Brew. And he, he sold The Morning Brew about two years ago. And he was like... It's been a very challenging two years. I'm not going to lie to you because my identity was Alex Lieberman, founder of Morning Brew. Were you finding the same thing? Were you like, I'm Andrew Silver, founder of Molo, but I'm not anymore? Like, was that tough to reconcile? 100%. It's funny you bring up Alex Lieberman because I've reached out to him before because of how much I connect to his posts. And we have not had a chance to talk, but I do really resonate with what he said. I think I wholeheartedly let my identity get tied up into that business. You know, I have the tattoo on my ass of, of wow. the company's logo. You know, I'm, it's really, it's, it's, it's literally on me. Um, and I just, I, I regret that to an extent in, in, you know, in looking back, I, I don't feel like it's healthy to allow yourself to, to identify so closely with a business you're building. Um, I think there's, there's ego issue there. Um, I think there's just a lot to learn from that experience, but I, it, it, it broke me. I mean, it did in a lot of ways. I just, I didn't really know what to do in the, in the morning when I woke up and, and how to, how to, you know, attack my day without having that business there around me. Wow. So because Molo, for people who don't know, like here, give us a little brief on the Molo store. Cause I know you started this with three people. You started, when was it? 2017. So you had like, what, five years under under that roof, five years or six years of that just being you? Yeah, so, you know, Molo was, it just is such, it, it, it was such a fun experience. It was really hard and there were moments that were miserable. That, I mean, don't get me wrong for me personally, but we had an, have an incredible team. I mean, the people that we built that business with, we just had so much fun. I mean, it was a bunch of young folks who did not necessarily have experience building a business before, but we were so bought into the movement of what we were trying to do. And we were bought into the success we were having. I mean, we were convinced that we could raise the level of service that shippers were, were receiving from brokers. And we set out to do that every single day. And, and the proof was in the pudding. Our business grew faster than really any other brokerage in the industry. And that was because of how committed we all were. So it was a team effort from day one and it just was, I mean, you just, when you, when you put so much of yourself into that, you really do feel like you're a part of it. It feels like it's a part of your identity. Um, and that's where the challenge is, you know, when that kind of gets pulled away from you at a moment's notice, it's really hard to reconcile. Um, and, you know, it, it, it still is. I mean, it's been seven months and I'm still to this day struggling a little bit with with reconciling it. I feel so much better than I did six months ago, but I'm not nearly at a place yet where I'm, you know, excited about something new or, or feel like I, I have a business ready to start that, that, you know, would give me that same sense of purpose and feeling. You know, a lot of our, our peers and, and fellow founders in this business watch this show. What advice would you give to them who are maybe they're thinking about so their dream is maybe to sell their company. Their dream is to maybe have an exit like you. But you're kind of telling us a, sort of the other side of it, how, how it actually impacts somebody. What would your advice be? Well, I think an important clarifying point 
for me at least, is this was never supposed to be the exit. Yeah. I mean, it was not. It was it was meant to be an accelerator and something that we were going to continue to be a part of for a long time. Now, I'm not I, I'm not trying to rehash, you know, how, how that went down, but um, I, I can say that you know now I can look at it and say, okay, that was the exit. That was that was the end for me. Um, my advice to to anyone building a business is is really really understand your motives. You know, and, and if you're looking to sell or considering a, a deal, a partnership with anyone. You really have to understand your motives, your true motives for why you're making the decision you are. I think that's the only regret I have is kind of looking back and not feeling like I was really aligned with myself and in in the decisions we made at the end there. And um, I don't know that there's a way that you'll ever have true clarity going into a decision like that and feel like you really know because you're 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 you know taking a leap of faith. Um, and even to this day, I don't regret doing the deal. I think ArcBest is a great company. I think that ArcBest can help Molo become a better company. I think that if those people all work together and build it into what it can be, that that there's 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 no stopping them. Um, I'm sad that I'm not there as a part of it, but um, it's okay. I mean, I'm 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 grateful for the experience, and now it has brought me to a new venture, which you know I'm going to call it more a hobby for now, but. Um, I'm, I'm starting to look at new opportunities to build another business. And I think that, you know, I just miss being a part of a team. I miss contributing. I really miss competing. Um, and I'm not even saying I want to go compete in, in freight brokerage. I have no interest in competing with Molo. Um, but I, I do want to compete. I want to compete at something. I mean, I like being in the arena, as they say, um, and, and trying to build and be a part of a team that's, that's you know, committed to a vision and, and bought into something. Since you don't plan on competing with Molo, let me ask you a question. If you were to start a brokerage, what like what do you think like the corner value should be right now? What should companies be thinking about? Because we hear so much about freight tech and the lost value of freight tech and how much so is traditional brokerage and communicated the value. We're at a bit of an inflection point with some of this stuff. What what would your advice be to a new brokerage? Uh I legally am not allowed to consult for brokerages, but wow. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will put this out there. I've got th- I've got three years that I can't do anything for brokerages, which sure. sucks. I get a lot of inbound messages from people asking for advice and whatnot. I will say this: you know, I don't think brokerage is going anywhere. I, you know, it always feels like we're at an inflection point. It always feels like the next big freight waves article about what Uber is doing or someone's doing is going to like really change the game, and. I haven't seen it. You know, I just, I, I remember there were moments in time where over the last five years, six years, I looked at something that was being announced by a competitor and part of me thought, oh, wow, this could really do us in if this works. Um, and it never did. I mean, this business will always be a business where there are people making decisions about freight movement. Um, and they may be guided by tremendous technology, but at the end of the day, there will be people who are accountable to decisions. And those are those are freight managers, directors, uh, supply chain managers, whatever the, their titles are, they exist and they are people. So um, for that reason, this will always be a relationship business. And I think it's um, it, it's it's the ability to leverage the technology to create the the right efficiencies to really enhance your business while leveraging really good people. Um, that's the recipe. And I think it always will be. Um, so, you know, that's, that's my kind of two cents on the matter. 
I hope that's helpful. No, it is. It is. And I understand your position makes total sense. Let's talk about the freight pod for a second here. Now, I remember on LinkedIn, you posted maybe a year or two ago that you were thinking of starting a podcast. You're like, I'm going to make this awesome kick-ass podcast. And then I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for it. And it finally it finally dropped. I think you're on like, what, episode three or four. You've had Ted Ailing on there. You've had our own Craig Fuller. I think you had Kevin Nolan as well. Tell, Doug Wagoner, tell us about the show. Yeah, so I did make a commitment a year ago to do this. And uh, I might have jumped the gun. I ran into some red tape and it wasn't uh, necessarily approved. But this is something that, you know, people on my team had asked me to do for a while. And again, I'm in a position where right now there's there's not much I'm doing that's productive or, or contributing, at least to our industry. And the podcast is something we've been thinking of, I've been thinking about for a while. Paul Estrada had reached out to me, right? Paul Estrada and I ran into each other at Food Shippers and kind of had a one-off comment to each other about it. And three months later, as I was sitting there kind of tired of feeling sorry for myself, I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, what if we did this? What if we just, you know, started recording and saw how it went? And um, it's been a really fun thing to do. And there's a part of me, again, that does think about trying to build it into a business, whether it's a media business or something, you know, I see what Freight Caviar is doing. I see kind of freight waves and there's just a lot of opportunity in the space. I enjoy these conversations we're having with leaders in our industry about their story, getting to know them better and understand how they got from where they were to where they are now. Um, and I enjoy challenging them about their business. And, and you know, I, I, I look forward to leveraging, you know, 15 years of my own experience, 15 years of Paul's experience to bring insightful, engaging conversation to the forefront of this. And, uh, and hopefully we learn a little bit. And, you know, this is an, it's so interesting to me because it's completely foreign. You know, this, this con I, you know, it's not foreign to sit here and have a conversation with someone one-on-one -on -one and record it. That's fine. That's not too hard, but you know, the first big decision we had to make was how long should these episodes be? And, Everyone told us the sweet spot is 45 minutes at most an hour. And that's how you build the biggest audience, right? You know, everyone's always thinking, how do I make the most money possible? I have the biggest audience. You know, I get it. Uh, but that was an interesting point for us because we had our first conversation with Kevin and it was two hours long. And I didn't want to cut any of it because I enjoyed the whole conversation. And so here you are now faced with this decision. Do we cut it to 45 minutes because that's what the rules say it should be to make it the most monetized, you know, biggest audience thing? Or do you stick to creating something that's really good because, you know, it's an authentic conversation, even though it's twice as long as what they suggest and recommend, what do you do? Right? And, you know, it felt like, again, being back at almost Molo building a business and thinking about like, What's the framework for your decision-making? And for us, it was always, at Mola, it was make the decision that puts our customer in the best position to be successful, right? Or puts the employee or puts the carrier. I mean, we looked at the customers, all three. Um, but now here I am again thinking, how do we make the best decision to put our, our, our viewers or listeners in the best position to, to enjoy this the most? And at the end of the day, it was, you know, let's, let's forego the route that is most suggested, the 45-minute route and take the road less traveled let's go the long form let's have a full conversation and just see where it goes well Andrew, that we've lost some potential go ahead i can tell you as someone who makes a full-time living on this and does pretty well 
Don't listen to those rules. You didn't talk to me. You didn't ask me. You asked a bunch of people who've never built a successful logistics podcast. I will tell you, content dictates length. And the way you build an audience is you make content that that audience wants. It doesn't matter. I've made podcasts that are one minute long. I've made content that's an hour long, half hour. I've done 90 minutes. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you are providing that audience what they need. And you said it's not challenging, but my one pushback on that, I think the one challenge is that you're not just having a one-on-one conversation. You're having a conversation for an audience. And that's something that always has to sort of be kept in mind. They don't have all the context you and the guests have, and you have to be mindful of that to provide that for them. I think you're doing an awesome job. Before I let you go and we tell everyone where to find this, what's the best lesson you've learned? So I know it's early. What's the best lesson you've learned so far from one of your guests? The best lesson I've learned so far, I I think it ties back to the conversation with Craig, and, and maybe it's just the most relevant and, um, the importance of kind of killing your ego or not letting, you know, just the, the emphasis on the ego and the impact it has on us. Um, I think founders, CEOs probably deal with this more than most um, because you just get that constant tire pumping of yourself from people, whether it's on LinkedIn or, or wherever, of people telling you, you know, this is so great, or you, your company wins awards and you go standing on stage with the awards. Um, it inflates your ego. And I, I think that the ego is, you know, there's a book sitting next to me, ego is the enemy. And like, it's just, that's not something that I have mastered or nearly come close to uh, managing effectively. And it's just, I'm at a point in my life where I want to focus on personal growth. And I think that will be the biggest contributor to be being more successful at my next company. I, I, I look back at my time at Molo and I feel like there are things that I didn't do well, things that I really messed up and that could have been better. Um, and I just, I want redemption. I want another chance at that. And it's not to say we didn't do great things. That's not what I mean by this at all. I just mean that I want to learn and get better as I go. And, you know, that was something Craig said on, on our episode that just really stuck with me and has me thinking a lot about ego and, and its role in my life and, and, you know, how to manage it effectively. Well, Andrew, I wouldn't want to be standing in your way. You're a force of nature. Where do people find the Freight Pod? Uh, on any platform that does podcasts. So Spotify has it. Apple Podcasts has it. Google Podcasts has it. I think we probably should do something with a website so people can you know go there. I think we have to own our audience, and that's part of the next step I have to figure out how to do effectively is – you know, bring them all under our roof versus letting them go see it on LinkedIn or see it on, you know, Apple, Apple or Spotify, whatever. So um, there's more to come for sure. Here's a secret. Build a newsletter because in podcasting, it's very hard to see who your listeners are just from that data. As you have probably already learned from especially the audio side, RSS data does not give you that much information. But a newsletter will give you a ton because you'll be able to see your subscribers are from the the at on there. You'll know where they work and all that stuff. I highly recommend doing that for owning the even more than a website. I I recommend starting with a newsletter. Just get that out there. Yeah, Start I mean, learning who those listeners are. <laughs> The, the first week after we did the Kevin Nolan episode, uh, Freight Caviar, who I like Paul a lot, but Freight Caviar published their newsletter and their whole newsletter was our episode of the podcast. And here I am thinking, okay, we've got we've to address this. We've got to go build our own newsletter and do all this. So that's in the works. We've got to get going on it. But uh, right now we're having fun with it. Yeah, don't, don't let Freight Caviar eat your picnic, Paul. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Get out of right. here, Paul. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Go kick Freight Caviar's ass. Thanks for having me, Dinner. <laughs> Oh, Take it boy. easy. We got a competitor now. <laughs> See ya. Take care. I love it. He threw the gauntlet down. By the way, Izzy in the back asked me if I have a Freightways tattoo on my ass, like uh, Andrew's Molo tattoo. No, I don't yet. Maybe uh, later on this afternoon I'll get one in Chattanooga, though. Although I'd probably go with What the Truck. I mean, you know, my wife and I designed the logo. I didn't design the, the Freightways. The Freightways logo is great, but, you know, 
This has my blood in it. All right, anyways, meanwhile, <laughs> take a look at this. This is Freight Caviar and Andrew Silver mixing it up on the side. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what's going on here. This guy is a roadside gator. And this, uh, I mean, this is just Florida. This is a Floridian. Um, this guy says here, MYMFB says, tell the tape, Gator, 40 years old, plus millions of primordial instincts, cold-blooded killer with critical ability, patience, and pain threshold skill sets. Male, 35 years old, no wildlife skills, smokes weed and meth, watches Animal Planet while stoned in mom's basement. This is the battle we got. Pog Fortune says, yeah, watching that as someone who spent early childhood summers in the swamps of southeast Georgia, I kept thinking, he's going to get his leg, and it's going to be funny and uh yeah i think he's got his like right there <laughs> be great nate says i wanted so much for that gator regardless it did not disappoint john nate is bubblegum it was i was like 99 sure dude was gonna get removed from the gene pool angel says that's why i don't drink and fish and uh money spender says never thought i'd root for a gator i'm a seminoles fan i like the sense of humor you got over there florida all right, I think this guy's got his uh, leg chewed up enough. Let's go over to Marcus Cooksey. He's the CEO over at Duke AI. And Marcus, I will tell you something really funny. I was on X yesterday, and Ben Tashergi, he tweeted out, hey, who's building Alexa for supply chain? And I said, Ben, you better tune into What the Truck tomorrow. Yeah. Hey, how's it going, Dunner? Good to what be on. Up? Yeah, you uh, are on, What's man? going you, on with that gator over there? That you is ever, crazy. On you the ever, side of the highway and- you ever fight any gators, man? You ever get into a gator brawl? No, I've actually played uh, golf in South Florida, and all over the golf course you see gators, and uh, they were deterrents because, you know, if you're in the middle of the fairway, you never have to worry about the gators. But, you know, for me, I'm all over in the weeds, and so I have to kind of avoid them uh, because I don't hit in fairway easily. So, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with them, but not on the highway, on, on the golf course. No, my parents, they so they were in, like, they moved to, in North Carolina, they got a house in, like, this gated community, and there's all these ponds, and there's, like, just gators that walk around. And I'm like, you guys aren't nervous. I, like, I'm from Boston. I'm not used to gators. Like, I see – I'm like, how are these even here? We, like, we like try to eradicate the wolves, but, like, gators just walk around. Yeah. No, Texas is coyotes and armadillos, so. <laughs> yeah, not my <laughs> – spe- so, as I was saying, we we're coming in. So, I saw – someone was tweeting yesterday, this guy, Ben Tashergi. He was like, someone needs to make Alexa for supply chain. And I said, hey, buddy, you better tune into What the Truck tomorrow because that's exactly what I'm talking to Marcus Cooksey about. Tell us about the trucking industry's only AI-powered back office assistant. Yeah. So, Duke is basically automating – a lot of the work that humans have to do, especially around billings and collection, you look at uh, what billing looked like in, you know, let's say utilities a few years ago, you would have a check, you would have a person that would look at that check, look at the customer information and fill out all that information. And then if the check bounced, you had all of these exceptions that were handled. Trucking industry is still that way. It's very manual in how we're doing billing. It's funny, I tell people we can move loads, we can book loads, we can quote loads, but we can't get paid effectively. Well, that's until Duke. And so what Duke is doing is automatically creating the invoice from all those documents instantly, right? Our AI is now able to then read that, audit the information, and then set up the payments in the back end. And so we've had some early success with some customers and man, they are loving it. So it's like, it's like you have this assistant that's doing all the work for you and setting up the payments and validating everything. It's really cool. 
So, like, how does it work? How do I know it's accurate? I've been using a lot of, like, generative art, and, like, sometimes the results are great, and sometimes it's, like, a, like a malicious genie. Like, it just takes your prompts so literally and throws them back at you in the most disturbing ways possible. <laughs> how do we know it's accurate? Well, as you know, we've been doing this over now for five years. And so if you know anything about, not to get too technical, there's a lot of work that has to be done to do a product and production worthy solution. So we've taken now over 10 million documents of different varieties from a variety of different uh, companies, BOLs and so forth. We've created like this imaging pipeline. Uh, think of it as the lens for uh, the system to be sure that we can correct everything. So say for instance, if a document has shadows or something like that, or if it's oriented incorrectly, our eyes in our system can automatically orient things, remove some of the shadows, and then extract the data off the page and do the correlation well. And so that's many years of reinforcement learning. So I always tell people is what we're doing is like teaching a kid uh, to crawl, uh, ride a bicycle and fly a pain in five years. Uh, it takes a lot of effort. And so that's how you know it's working. We've actually are integrated into TMSs and we haven't had very many customers come back and say that the information is incorrect. So how does it work? What is it, what is it powered by? What's the technology that's driving this? There is no, so again, five years. So we actually have a proprietary language learning model that we've developed. Uh, the whole imaging pipeline that I've mentioned, that's developed by us. So we're not using, let's say, an off-the-shelf tool because none of those tools have the data as well as the correct modeling that fits transportation and logistics. And so what we've created is, and it's been arduous, but we've created is a low a proprietary LLM mod module uh, that knows the language of trucking. So what that, does that mean? That means if you are, let's say, a broker or carrier or factor, you can be sure that the training, that this learning of this Alexa is, is all suited around trucking. So that means... When it sees a rate confirmation from customer X, it knows how to extract all of the line haul, the stop locations. If you can have 10 stop locations, it knows the language. And so that's very unique versus something that's general like ChatGPT. So you wrote on LinkedIn, the gas and the oh my gods we received from our first on-site demo with brokers, factors, and carriers last week was confirmation. What, how did that demo go? What were people saying? What, what did you show off? So we demonstrated a load being built using email. So imagine I am a broker and I send a rate uh, confirmation to my carrier. Now this was all been done through email. So that was sent to Duke. Our AI read that uh, rate confirmation and then created a load and said, oh, this is from this broker for this amount and dispatched it to the trucker. When the trucker was done, they uploaded the BOL and the lumper and sent that back via email. Then the broker, what they saw on their side, the broker saw that they received the attached document and pressed the button in the email. That transmitted all those documents and the invoice was generated. The payment was set up in the broker's back office accounting system. All of the documents that were part of that load were contained and then we even created a score that said, hey, this load should or should not be paid. And we gave a metrics of why. It almost looks like a credit score of telling you certain information like, did they pick up? Did they deliver? Are there exceptions? We were able to analyze much of that and then deliver that in a form 
so you can easily digest. And so when they saw that, they, they, they were going through the same workflow. They saw, hey, we send emails all the time. The only difference is we've got this Alexa or Duke, right, similar, that's doing all the work for us. Wow. Does that make sense? No, it definitely makes sense. So how do people get a demo? How do they actually see this in action? Oh, well, we have, uh, you can come reach out to me. Uh, I won't do it. One of my developers will do it. Uh, but we actually have demos. Uh, you know, we have live videos. We, we did a WebEx last week of, uh, of a live demo. Uh, you can actually experiment with yourself, uh, create an account. So uh, create a Duke an account, uh, go to our Duke.ai, go to our portal, log in, create an account, and uh, you know, upload some uh, documents in the manage loads window. Uh, if you want a one-on-one -on -one demo, you can reach out to me and I can connect you with our development team, uh, Marcus at Duke.ai. Uh, we'll be hosting a lot of videos on YouTube, allowing people to go out and uh, understand how to use it. But it should be very simple. So if you need a lot of support and help, uh, that means we may not have done a great job. But we like to think that it's very easy to use and that you don't need a lot of training. Marcus, I love to hear it. I'm so excited that you're putting this product out. I know that you are excited about it as well. We're going to see you in November at F3 right here in Chattanooga? You will, you will see me in Chattanooga, so I'll be there. Last time I missed the uh, uh, the concert, so I'm going to make sure I stay long enough uh, this time and not leave too early. <laughs> yeah, you, we got to be dancing to live your life by T.I., man. You, we we got we to gotta be out there on the floor together. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Marcus, thank you so much. Hey, a little cowbell for you. Congratulations to you and the team, Duke. Uh, we've been following your journey for a long time now on this show, and it's so cool to see this product come to fruition. I hope everybody enjoys it. All right. Thank you. Appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. All right. Let's see here. Did you know that AIT Worldwide Logistics has been recognized as a top performer by Cranes, Forbes, Inbound Logistics, Transport Topics, and yes, even Freight Waves? They're on our Freight Tech 100 list. Boost your job satisfaction, regain a sense of purpose, and open your career opportunities with one of the fastest growing organizations in the industry. All you got to do is visit the career section at AITWorldwide.com to learn more and apply. Start Q4 off with a new gig. Start Q1 off with a new gig. There's opportunity out there, people. As depressing as this show may sound sometime. All right, elsewhere, check out this. This is super cool. This is the Ocean Cleanups Flood Barricade, and it intercepted 37 truckloads, 140 tons worth of plastic waste from the Rio Las Vacas in Guatemala, preventing it from reaching the Caribbean Sea. And here's like the thing. Watch, this is just one night. This is. It looks like this is just one night where they're pulling 37 truckloads out of the uh, the Rio. Like, you're going to see it here. Here's where they're bringing the trucks. And, like, this is super sped up. But it's just truck after truck after truck that they're filling up. I don't know how often the ocean cleanup is running this. I don't, I don't know if it's out every night, and every night they're dumping all this trash or what. But it's a really, really cool project. And it's really disturbing how, like, gross we make our uh, waterways. What an awesome project. All right, well, now we got uh, Justin Martin from Freight Waves over here, Mr. Super Trucker. We do. And uh, understand LTLs, Curtis Garrett. What's up, guy? You kind of look hey. like Tobin Bell in Saw, Justin, with the uh, backwards hat. Well, it's not backwards. Oh, is, what's going on? Oh, what, what, what am I looking Just at the here? postal hat. Oh, is We're that the back. flaps on the side? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they come Oh, oh okay. Oh, I, Mine's been in the storage box for like the last couple of years, so it's a little. It needs to be shaped up a little better. I think, yeah, it, might, it looks like a little like that. It, it's like a sh like a schmedium, and you mean maybe need like an extra large. <laughs> yeah, this I believe this is a three XL, and they go up to five. I should have gone oh, with wow. a five. 
I got a big head. Curtis, man, you got a lot of hats behind you. You think you could fit in that postal hat? Yeah. I have the same problem. I have a big head. Like 95% of these hats don't fit, so I hang them on my wall. You need <laughs> so. like the seatbelt extender they give, they give on the airline for like the skull. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, that's a good idea. Zip ties. They haven't realized American heads have gotten larger since they first decided to standardize the snapback. I think that they really have to adjust yeah. some of the sizings like they have done with clothing. Absolutely. Yeah. It, every trucker hat I get, I, I only have like the last snap to go back on. And that's even with no hair. Well, hey, Curtis, before you came on, I was talking to Marcus Cooksey. Using tech, it's great to see freight tech. It's great to see all that. But we got a huge cybersecurity problem in this business, too. Estes was the latest one to get hit with a cyber attack. You are deep in the LTL side, so you got to see some of those disruptions firsthand. And I know you said they've done a great job getting systems back up in order. Can you get us up to speed on what happened, what the experience was like, and what's happening now? Yeah, so just over a week and a half ago, uh, the weekend before last, they they discovered kind of some, you know, irregularities in their tech systems. Um, luckily, that was, I, I believe it was midway through Saturday and not, not a business day for an LTL carrier. But that being said, they decided after watching it for a little bit of time to take all systems offline in all of last week, Monday through Friday, and then still kind of in the trenches this week with, you know, a step at a time, uh, diagnosing, fixing, solutioning, and, and getting things stood back up. So really unfortunate. I, in my, you know, in my industry knowledge, it's, it's probably the largest carrier to ever get hit, at least in the LTL space with a hack of this magnitude. Um, it, it's sad to see, you know, but it's at the same time, our industry, you know, supply chain in general, uh, LTL with all the yellow news and, uh, with Estes being kind of a prime bidder on some of that property, we've all been getting a lot of press and mainstream attention in the past couple months. So it does make sense to me that, you know, maybe maybe they hit somebody's radar that, that didn't previously know about them or, or other companies in the space. That's an interesting point. I was looking at some cybercrime stats and it's been raising the uh, the 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 cost of it has been raising by about $3 trillion a year, and it's on that trajectory moving forward. So TISA projects it out from 2027. But if you go back to even 2019, it's been pretty consistent in $3 trillion more every year. The problem grows and gets worse. Did they, did they ever say what this was? Was this ransomware? What, 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 do we know any more on those details? Yeah, it was definitely um, it was definitely like a ransomware. Um, you know, I, I don't know the details yet on on this, but in the past for, with other carriers, it's been one of those, you know, drag you down to the dark web, pay your ransom and then you get your keys back to the kingdom, essentially. So um, I don't know. You know, I don't have any official statements from Estes here other than it wasn't it was a cyber attack. Um, knowing them, they, you know, I doubt they would have paid. <laughs> they probably would have just said, uh, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna fix this and, and fight our way back. Um, so I don't know either way, but yeah, just very, you know, very dark situation. And, uh, to, to, especially in the supply chain and trucking, you know, market where you're, you're not just holding a big company hostage, you're holding a lot of small businesses, a lot of, you know, people, food, you know, pharmaceuticals, like think of all the stuff that that rides on an SD's truck. You know, that's pretty painful for for people that need those goods. No, it, it has to be. Justin, you have any take on this uh, this growing cyber attack, cyber crime problem and, and what SD's experience here? 
my worry is that whatever group pulled this off, um, as much success as they had, maybe they didn't get paid. Hopefully, Estes didn't pay them. Um, now they're going to try and go after other targets that maybe aren't quite as savvy as Estes has been in getting their systems online. Because what they want to do is they want you to pay. So they're going to lock you down as hard as they can. And then, you know, the whole point of getting paid is that they'll give your stuff back to you. So they're not, your, your data is hopefully not being completely erased, but, you know, you're going to have to pay them or hopefully find a backup. Wow. Wow. Well, I will say, too, um, this was a middleware attack. So, you know, customer data, financial data um, and then anything specifically like apps and, and technology tool wise in the in the Estes ecosystem, that's all safe. This is more just they lost the ability for their systems to talk to each other and, and connect it all together. Hmm. Okay, well, look, LTL hasn't really been a calm world. You, you know, we mentioned Yellow. You mentioned one of the reasons that they may have even got targeted was for bidding on Yellow's terminals. You put these billion-dollar offers out there. They realize you have some money. These these uh, hackers may come after you. But what's going on in the the rest of LTL right now, Curtis? Are you seeing a, a lot of disruptions? Are we recovering from this LTL bankruptcy? Yeah, I think we we had digested all of that yellow business and redistribution of that volume pretty well. Um, probably we're just getting to the point where things were calming down a little bit. And then, you know, here we go again with with another black swan event, um, something that typically doesn't happen, you know, more than every decade or so. Um, and here we have two of them in the span of three months. So always interesting. I mean, really volatility and, and you know, highs and lows like this probably are what we just need to brace ourselves for and and you know we are gonna we are gonna get stronger and better from it but it's definitely some short-term pain um, but all in all yeah capacity i would say across the markets in a pretty good spot um service you know performance metrics from ltl carriers still aren't back to pre-covid but definitely up a lot from you know from mid-covid um where, where everybody was really struggling Pricing's kind of calmed down. Um, I think we're in an okay spot. We just need to get past, you know, this, you know, this Estes situation now, get into uh, finish out the holiday season. And then it's going to be really interesting to see what Q1 2024 has in store. Um, then, yeah, Curtis. We'll, we'll see. Hopefully not another uh, fall off a cliff. But <laughs> Curtis, in this world, we got full truckload, we got LTL, and we also got parcel. How much do you know? about USPS mail trucking. Nothing yet. I hope to learn more here in about yeah. five, ten minutes. We're having a little uh, we're having a little ask me anything with Justin here, who is a former USPS trucker. So Justin, let's turn our attention to you. And Curtis, feel free to jump in question to question here. Let's kick it off. Justin, we'll make it easy and we'll start broad. How does USPS mail trucking work? Well, it's around the clock, 24-7. You know, most people, when they think of the Postal Service, it's, you know, Monday through Friday, maybe a little bit of delivery, delivery on Saturday and Sundays. But as far as the processing goes, that's round the clock all the time. Round the clock. all. And how does it work? Like how many trucks are going in? You as a driver from the driver perspective, what's like the day like? Oh, well, in Philadelphia, we were the, we're the largest metro um, network in the, in, the, in the entire USPS system. So just where I was at, we had probably... 200, I'd say around 250 drivers total. And that's dispersed across mostly three tours. You have tour one, which is all the mail that's going out to the post offices to be delivered that day. And then I worked at tour three for the most part. That's the mail that's coming in every day. Uh, you're going into some really tight spots. A lot of these post offices are built, you know, in the late 1900s or maybe even like 1930s. That one there is, um, oh, geez. Um, 
trying to remember here. <laughs> I'm a brain fart. Uh, north north of Philadelphia, south of um, Doylestown. But yeah, that was a really tight spot. That was actually the very first one I ever went to. So you're trying to navigate your way, not not hitting any of the mail trucks coming in. You back the do- you back up to the dock. Um, the clerks there, if they're polite, they'll load the mail up for you, and then it's up to you to strap it up to your truck, and then get it back down to your plant where it's uh, offload. Either you offload it, or uh, depending on the local re- union rules where you're at. Uh, they have mail handlers that will unload it for you. So it is touch freight, but it's all rolling stock, which is really nice. Um, not a lot of pallets. If, you, if you're picking up a lot of skids somewhere, somebody did something wrong. For the most part, it's um, it's all rolling stock. And then every once, <laughs> every once in a while, you'll see a box from like the other side of the country. They'll, they'll write little messages back and forth to each other. That one says, uh, North Pole is cold up here from Alaska. <laughs> oh, wow. They, so a little of those drivers right. have a little sense of humor with each other. Curtis, what do you want to know about the mail? Yeah, I had a question. Actually, that was a great segue with the Alaska uh, cart there. So some of these remote areas, like what we would call in, in LTL, a dark terminal or an end of the line terminal, like what are some of the craziest, you know, vehicles or, or assets they use to transport mail? Are there snowmobiles, pogo sticks? What what have you seen? Yeah, I've seen um, there are places that are so remote that the, the, the letter carriers themselves, you know, as a truck driver, we're not delivering any of the mail. We're just going from hub to hub, basically. But right. as far as the letter carriers themselves, there are places that use, um, like down to the Grand Canyon, they, they still have mules that go down there to some of the uh, reservations to deliver the mail. And uh, I've, I've seen um, up in Alaska, they, they do have snowmobiles that deliver the mail up there because it's so remote. Well, yeah, Rachel, when she was up there, she actually sh- she had a picture or two of people like in their personal SUVs. They're like modified Alaska SUVs to go and uh, deliver the mail. I thought that was that was really interesting. Now, Justin, there's a conspiracy theory that when you do like priority two day overnight, it's all of the same thing. Is is that a is that true? And is that a, like a function of sorting? How does that work? Yeah, it all depends on what's going on at the plant at the time. Uh, for the most part, when the mail comes into you, it is labeled basically where it's supposed to go. Um, but if volumes are a mess, everything just kind of gets dumped together, and then it all just gets sorted um, in one in one big pile, basically. Day to day throughout the year, uh, they're pretty good about segregating where the mail is because you don't want to be completely inundated with having to sort, you know, tens of thousands of, of, of parcels every single day. Um, but again, that when it when it becomes uh, peak season, that that all goes out the window. How big is the total fleet, like trucking wise, uh, the the tractors, fifty three footers? Mm. In Philly, we had probably around th- we had we had less than thirty tractors, and then around twenty five straight trucks. And then that all depends on whether or not you know a couple of units go down. I know when I was there in twenty nineteen, we got brand new internationals. And because they're so brand new, um, a lot of them were, were breaking down and they were still under warranty. So we couldn't even repair them. They had to go back to the dealership. And then that, of course, was like right as COVID was hitting and we had the supply chain problems with parts and stuff. So we had all these brand new trucks coming in and the DEF units um, crapped out on them because none of the drivers knew what DEF was. <laughs> so they were hitting the override button every single time the, the truck was trying to go into region. And guess what? It just It just blew up all the exhaust systems on those trucks. And then when the parts became unavailable, they basically ran a bypass on a lot of the DEF systems. So the trucks won't run if it runs out of DEF on the dash. And the computer part that was monitoring how much DEF was in the system wouldn't allow the trucks to start because it thought it was out of DEF. So they did like a hot wire bypass and they had like this big pink sign in every single truck saying you need to put DEF in this thing every single day. Even if it reads empty, it needs DEF. 
Curtis, I got a question for you. At what point does parcel become LTL? Like, what is like the threshold here where it doesn't make sense to go USPS and it make and you're actually shipping truckload freight now? Like new e-com retailers, they they eventually get to these kind of thresholds. Yeah, yeah. I've always said LTLs the the catch-all bucket. You know, truckload spills in, and then definitely parcel and home delivery uh, shifts up into LTL. So. Obviously, we saw a lot more of that during COVID with a lot of the the eco, you know online ordering e-com boom. As folks order uh, bigger and bigger items to their homes, grills, hot tubs. I had a sauna delivered to mine by FedEx Freight. That's got to go LTL, right? So um, it's it, it's important to look at that crossover, uh, definitely from a cost perspective, because if you're sending something LTL that could go parcel, but you're getting hit with like a $120 minimum charge on the LTL side, your cost per pound is going to be pretty high. So good to know like when that crossover is. Generally speaking, you know, it'll be something like 50 or 60 pounds. Uh, definitely anything oversized, you know, longer than a couple feet should, should probably go LTL. Uh, but then the one big thing to remember there is you don't want to just throw a loose carton, you know, especially if it's one or two items, you want to at least palletize it or crate it or something just so it's protected for LTL. Justin, what's the biggest thing that you saw in the back of your truck? Oh, we had one guy that tried to ship a fridge, like a mini fridge, and that pissed off so many people because, you know, there's a, there's a saying in, in postal service, we're not a freight company. We don't haul freight. <laughs> we haul parcels. So any anything that's like bigger than like a, a flat rate shipping box has to go into manual sorting. And that's a really arduous, labor-intensive process. That's where a lot of people's mail starts to show up late is because it's, it's not a standardized package that they're trying to ship. So it has to go through a lot of manual manual steps. Um, if, you, if you want your stuff to get there on time, make sure it's standardized and it'll get there pretty quickly. You know, I had Andrew Leto on a, a show I did a few years ago, and I was talking to him about how he built his company. And it all started by him going on eBay. And he was seeing people who were saying like snowmobiles, anything like big, anything that obviously <laughs> an LTL guy would be like, you don't want to send that by mail. It's going to be incredibly cost prohibitive. That's how he went on there. He would just target people who were shipping stuff that was just a little bit too big for mail. And that's how he cornered the market. I, th I thought it was quite brilliant. How about the life of the driver? You said it's 24-7. What is like a driver shift like? Uh, so again, it all depends on what area you're in. So in Philadelphia, tour one usually starts between uh, 11 p.m. to like the latest they would start is like 3.30 a.m. And then it's an eight hour shift. If you're staying over eight hours or eight and a half hours, you're getting overtime. Uh, it's double time after 10. Um, that also accrues uh, over 40 hours or over uh, 52 hours. So over, over 40, you get overtime and then over 52 hours, you get double time. If you're going that high, there's either some insane parcel volume uh, happening where you're at, or there's a, there's a, uh, a lot of guys retiring um, when COVID hit, but a lot of guys basically, you know, turn in the keys and say, okay, I've been here 30 plus years. I don't have time for this. So we had a lot of guys retire. Um, usually. So like a lot of these union places that you see that are having problems with like their labor shortages, it's because you have all of these guys that are um, they've been converted to full-time labor. And then they have this influx of part-timers coming in and washing out all the time. Before I came into the USPS, it was almost five years before somebody was converted from part-time to full-time. When I left, we had people as short as six months converting from part-time to full-time. That's basically like you're, you're set for life uh, once, you, once you made it to that point. 
Wow. Well, pretty amazing. Someone's get set for life. I mean, there, I guess there's big competition, USPS and UPS with the jobs. Mm -hmm. It's what you want to do these days, be pulling parcels. But if you are doing LTL and you want to understand LTL, Curtis Garrett, how do people connect with you to allow people to get educated on how, well, actually, what do you call this now? What, what, what's your new name for LTL? My new name for LTL? I don't know. Yeah. What is it? Less, more, <laughs> more than. Oh, more than, more than parcel. Yes. Okay. More than parcel. More than par yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. More than well, That's people who need Sorry. to know more. More than parcel. Where do I send them to? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Understand LTL is on LinkedIn. Uh, UnderstandLTL.com is is our site, and we actually have um, a pretty cool live mastermind event coming up. If you are headed to F3, swing up my way, High Point, North Carolina, Thursday and Friday, the end of the week. Uh, we're doing an in person group there. Uh, with some really cool uh, LTL superheroes. So Very, very cool. And Justin Martin, you can find him on Super Trucker on X is where he usually hangs out. Sir, thanks so much for helping us understand the mail a little bit better and how truckers well, are involved. Thanks for having me. Take care, guys. Okay, I didn't have time for the ejector seat, but let's just show that right now as we transition to Alan. Okay. This no, the ejector great. seat. They told me about this. The, this, this is the pre-trip. I just want to see this guy get shot in the air. Yeah, this guy. Look at that. Boom! <laughs> I want to put this in Alan's vehicle. We should have that at F3. Just get ejector launches. It's Alan Adler, our Midwest Bureau Chief. He's here with us now because I had Thomas Healy from Hylion on here. Um, I think it was on Friday he was on here, and he was talking about... Actually, you know what? Let's roll the clip first before we even get into this. Roll the clip of what I asked Thomas Healy. You know what all the, uh, the Twitter people and the Discord people want to know? Deliveries. Are they coming this year, Thomas? <laughs> So we are uh, we are in the process of building the trucks right now. So I'm actually not in Austin right now. I'm actually Ooh. up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, this is our Carno facility. So the uh, the thing you see over my right shoulder that's actually a uh, a 3D printing additive machine. We can we can talk about that if you want. But if I was in Austin right now and uh, you saw our shop, it is full of uh, of trucks being built out right now. Uh, and our plan is start delivering those before the end of the year here out to fleets. Uh, we are in the process of running fleet trials right now as well. So we actually have fleets where we're handing over the vehicle, handing over the keys, and they're running them uh, in their daily operations. And uh, that's kicked off. That's been going very well for people who have. All right, uh, we can we can drop this. Journey. That's enough. That's enough context. Alan, what is going on? There was a press conference this morning at 11 a.m. that didn't necessarily contradict what he said there because he said something very carefully. Yeah, he hasn't contradicted anything. Thomas is getting a lot of pressure from the board now uh, at Hylion. They've been asking for a while, what is your plan of sufficiency? What are you going to do to get to commercialization? How, how are you going to basically not burn through a lot of cash? Where are you going to get more money? All these things have been sort of circulating around now for a while uh, at Hylion. He's not telling fibs at all. But the yeah. problem is he's got a product that as we see more and more electric trucks come into the area where we're just yesterday you saw uh, uh, what will be the next Freightliner E-Cascadia. It's going to go farther on a single charge, things like that. Uh, the question becomes how viable is the Hypertruck ERX and for how long? So now they're looking at it. They're saying, you know what? Maybe this isn't the right thing. Um, but they've got a lot of cash, and that makes them different from a lot of companies that sort of go, you know, take a dirt nap.
Ugh. It's rough. So it seemed like uh, the impression I got from this conference is that they're completing actually what Thomas said there. So they're completing that build out in Austin that they said. However, that's kind of the end of the line. They're pausing the ERX production during the strategic review. Why? Are they sell it? Are they trying to sell the ERX? Is it, is it viable? Is now they're trying to sell themselves as a car note company? What is highly on now? A little bit of everything in what you just said. I'm not sure I heard all of it. No, I think I did. I got it all. But but basically, Carno, uh, which is something they bought for $35 million last year from General Electric, uh, neat technology. They were going to make it sort of the second version of the Hypertruck ERX. They backed off on that and said, you know what? It's better for stationary uh, use, like making uh, energy, you know, electricity that, that the electric vehicle industry will need. Still have, to, still have to see if there's enough there. I mean, if GU is willing to sell it to high on will somebody buy it from Hylion? Who knows? But but the idea is that at this point the ERX, which is getting more and more expensive, it's north of four hundred thousand dollars a copy now to make, is too complicated and too complex for a lot of fleets to consider when they can go get an electric truck and basically have uh, you know a pure battery truck, not worry about you know any kind of uh, extra. Uh, equipment on the vehicle, uh, which, you know, basically the ERX is a hybrid. It was always, to me, Dooner, a transition technology anyway, because it it, it wasn't going to get you um, all the way to zero while it was using natural gas. But um, at this point, we'll just have to see. I don't know that there's a market for this truck now. Yeah, the market doesn't think so either. Their stock is at 63 cents. It's down 47% today, which is a 56 drop from its side. It wasn't doing great to begin with, but it's getting brutalized. Now it's in delisting territory. What 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 is the future for Hylion now? This is really concerning. I know a lot of their investors are super concerned. People are, people are kind of angry. People are yelling at me. They're like, well, why did Thomas come on the show? And he didn't mention any of this, and he, he just made it seem like ERX was on the same road that it's on. Well, I talked to him a few weeks ago before you had him on, and I said, hey, Thomas, I said, uh, Cummins is getting rid of the 12-liter uh, natural gas engine that you're going to use in the hypertruck. Uh, I know you said you'd go to the 15-liter, but, you know, it seems like you've got a lot more steps to go through. And he said, well, you're right. He said, you know, um, our certification is only good for a year. I don't know if he got into that with you. But basically, there's more money to spend. And I think the board is saying, look, you better have a good plan for how you're going to make this work. And if you only have 30 trucks, that's how many they're building out, by the way, um, that's not going to get you anywhere. That's not going to get you very far at all. And, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit, Duner, of what Too Simple said back in June when they said, you know, we're under strategic review. All options are on the table. Um, you know, they're obviously looking for a buyer for the U.S. business because they're focused on China. I'm talking about Too Simple right now. But this whole idea of strategic review, the, the code, that's code for essentially sale sign is up, right? And that's what the code is. Yeah, well, I mean, and they kind of made it clear during that conference call that the market conditions, uh, he alluded to, to funding. It's, it's hard to get funding right now. They can't, you know, maybe they went. I don't know for sure if they went out to the market to try and get some. But if they did, it sounded like it didn't work out the way that they, uh, they thought it would. Well, we have... Here's the way to think about it, though, real quick. Uh, and I just I'm just updating the story as we as we're talking here. But basically, their stock price right now at 63 cents. It, it, you know, the cash on hand is worth about a dollar fifty a share. Just so you know, I mean, so it's starting to actually recover. It got down to about sixty cents. It's come back up a little bit. But uh, you know, so there's cash there, and somebody might want that cash. But I don't know. I mean, Cummins doesn't seem to really need anything that. That, that Highland has, they'd be a good candidate and they like to buy things, but I just don't know. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't look real good long-term for this company. 
Well, I'm sure you'll be on top of the story. Check FreightWaves.com for Alan's continuing coverage of this. Before I let you go, where do people find Truck Tech and what's up next? Truck Tech in just a couple hours here on on uh, on the YouTube channel, we'll have um, we'll have Jake Fields from Platform Science talking about digitization. Nice big word. <laughs> Basically, connected trucks and the work that Platform Science is doing to sort of bring all this software together on one platform. Um, not a subject that we often cover on Truck Tech, but it'll be good to talk to Jake in, in a little bit. That's uh, on at uh, three o'clock uh, Eastern today, our new time. And uh, of course, it'll be on the YouTube channel as well. You can get Truck Tech, the newsletter. Heard you hyping newsletters earlier today on the show, which is great. Um, <laughs> that's on Friday for me. Uh, and that's our our show, uh, our uh, our newsletter. Um, you know, you're right about subscribers. They, they know what's going on out there. They sure do. Hey, Alan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for getting us updated on the story on short notice. You can find this show where, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Just look up What the Truck. Go to Freight Waves YouTube channel. It's an entire What the Truck playlist. We also live stream there. Uh, you can go to What the Truck's XFW. FW What the Truck. <laughs> you can find me at Timothy Duner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Hey, take care. Don't be.